God is good. And all the time. Well, you guys catch on quick. I like that. We're blessed. You're blessed. Would you look around at somebody next to you and say, you are blessed and highly favored? Of all people, you and I have the, the privilege, the luxury, the right and responsibility to give thanks. We're in that celebration of Thanksgiving and we're on the celebration Thanksgiving weekend. And I know that we have gone through the turkey and the leftovers and now we're doing the left leftovers and uh, coming up with some strange, uh, you know, combinations of food that's, you know, and, and the, great, the great thing is we as God's people have a lot to be thankful for. You may not have as much as what you would like, but I doubt there's one of us that, that can stand here today and say we don't have everything we need. Man, God has truly blessed us. Thanksgiving Eve, uh, my wife was getting ready to start to cook. That's a very special time in my family because everybody enjoys her cooking. I'm the official taste tester of everything, so I really enjoy it. She was baking cookies. Do anybody like cookies? Man, I, I love cookies. And we discovered that no matter how high you turned up the temperature on the oven, it was not working. I spent that evening down at Lowe's buying a new uh, range because I had to have a turkey the next day. I could have been despondent, and to be honest, I had to kind of wrestle through that. And of all days for it to go out, well, it could have gone out Thanksgiving Day, so I'm thankful it went out the day before. But I started thinking about being thankful and how much we have to be thankful for. I was thankful that we could that there was a, another one available, and I was thankful that we were able to get it plugged in, and I was thankful that my family understood that, that they probably shouldn't talk to me during that time, and... Ah, the Lord is good. The Lord is good to us. I, I, I believe last week we, had, we were truly blessed by, by Pastor Bert. You did an outstanding job. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I kind of feasted on that sermon all week. So uh, one of these days, if I'm out elsewhere, uh, you know, and somebody wants me to speak on, on a special occasion, I'm taking it as my own. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. I like that. Uh, we are in between uh, the, the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, and, and I just want to remind you on the 17th, uh, we have a special Christmas service here on the 17th. We're going to have a, some brass, uh, a brass band playing Christmas carols and different things like that. It's going to be fantastic. This Friday night is is uh, Christmas in the courtyard. We're going to be watching a movie on a big screen. We're going to have popcorn and cookies and hot chocolate. What else can you ask for? Isn't that great? So, but I, I want to encourage you both of those times, this Friday and then on the 17th, 
it would be a great opportunity to invite your threes. Remember the three, two, one, three people in your life that, that don't know the Lord, but you're kind of working on praying for and encouraging. This would be a great opportunity, both of them, to invite them into either one of those services or, or events. It would be a great time. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that. I want, I want you to, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. I'd like to read that together if you have that. I want, I want to speak today on something that is actually very pertinent to Thanksgiving and to Christmas. I want to talk to you about redemption. Redemption. Being redeemed. And you and I are redeemed. And the scripture tells us, but if you would, turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading with verse 11. If you'd like to read along with me, I'm, I believe I'm reading out of the NIV version. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This passage of Scripture encapsulates everything there is about the Christian life. It says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to the things of this world and in this, pre in this present age and to live with self-control and to wait for the blessed hope. Now, you may say, well, the blessed hope in my life was when I was saved. And that is a wonderful time. And you may say it may be all the times that God has blessed me in my life with, with, uh, with either material possessions or family or, or health or whatever it may be. And I'd say those are all great things. But the blessed hope that that Paul is writing to Titus about is nothing to do with this life. It has everything to do with why you gave your life to Jesus Christ, why you surrendered your life, why you bowed your knee, why you confessed that he is Lord and Savior, why you asked him to forgive you of your sins. It wasn't hope in this life. It's hope in the life to come. It's a, a life that's without pain and without sorrow and without death and without fear, and without failure. It's a life of true victory for every believer in Jesus Christ. That's the blessed hope. No more parting of the ways, no more death, nor more sorrow. It's the blessed hope. That's the reason why we are Christians. And we have that blessed hope because we are redeemed. Anybody remember this? How many have ever had a swollen tongue because of those beautiful green stamps? If you don't know what they are, I'm going to remind you. 
this is, uh, those are S&H green stamps. It's really Sperry and Hutchinson in the 1890s. They came up with this, this effort to get people to keep coming back to stores. So what they would do is if you go to a certain store and they offered these, these green stamps for, for however much money you spent in the store, they would give you a certain amount of stamps. And what you would do is you would take those beautiful stamps and they would give you a, an empty booklet. And you would have to fill those booklets with all of these beautiful stamps. Well, I wasn't really smart enough to, to wet them. Uh, we always licked them. And ugh, those poor people at that store. But when you had enough stamps... You went to, and you got them out of this. You remember those? They'd say, oh, you had $100, $125, and, and, and the stamps would come out, and they'd give you the stamps. You'd go home, put them in the books, and when you had enough books, you'd go to the S&H Green Stamp Store, which they call it, are you ready? A redemption center. See, because you'd, you'd take your stamps, and all, all of its glory and saliva and everything else and and you would hand them and hand them in and depending on how many you had you were able to redeem something out of the store so now I you know my my mom she always wanted to get a lamp or some Tupperware or something of that nature I wanted toys so, so but they had all kinds of stuff it was just a big store and you could go in and you didn't buy anything with money you paid for it with stamps and you weren't buying it you were redeeming whatever was in the store that's what the scripture says Paul writing to to Titus Titus is in in Crete and uh, and he's trying to establish the church there in in Crete and Paul reminds him that the gospel is for everyone and that, that there are many new converts in this church and there's a lot of rebellion and, and a lot of different issues that are going on in the church. And Paul's helping Titus to give him some instructions on how to develop and build a great church. And when he gets to chapter 2, he reminds him of the reason why we have a church, for the grace of God has appeared to all men. And I want you to look at verse 14 with me again he said who speaking of Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good Paul writing to Titus and says Titus you have to remember when you're, when you're speaking to God's people that are recipients of the grace of God remind them that they are redeemed. Remind them that they were held hostage by sin, that the adversary of their soul had them, that there was nothing they could do. They could not buy their salvation. They could not earn their salvation. They could not liberate themselves. They were held hostage, but Christ came, and in the grace of God, Christ came and lived and died, and through his death, he redeemed you and I. 
I, I kind of get this picture in my mind of, of Christ walking in, in and saying, you know, I'll take that one and I'll take this one and I'll take that one and I'll take this one. Because Christ's sacrifice redeemed us. Nothing that we could have done. We were redeemed by Christ. We were redeemed from all wickedness. Wickedness is simply contempt for the law of God or the things of God. We have been redeemed from that attitude, from that, from that lifestyle. And he's, he is working in us. And it's that, it is that spirit that he's continuing to purify us. He's continuing to change us. So Christ redeemed us. But my question is today, what has he redeemed? We know we are, are redeemed from wickedness. We are redeemed from our sins. We're redeemed from iniquity. And, and, and he is purifying us. There's a sanctifying work that's going on in our life. It's an ongoing process until the Lord comes back. But why, what did he redeem? He redeemed what? He redeemed one. He redeemed our body and soul. That our soul has been redeemed from death. Death has no more power on us. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 says this. So when this corruptible, speaking of this fleshly body, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. And I, I want to stop there for a moment and ask, uh, pose a question. Why do we need to have a new body? Question, the answer is simply that, that this one is mortal, this one's frail, this one will decay, this one will die. And our soul is designed to live within a house, within a body. When we, when we are in heaven, we will have a new body. The way God created us is that we are spiritual beings that are housed in bodies. And we have a body in this life that, that grows old and it decays, but the one that is promised us will never grow old and will never decay. And that's what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. He said, this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. Think about that for a moment, would you? That, that there is going to be a day there is going to be a day, whether you are dead or whether you are living, when Christ returns and that trumpet sounds, your mortal body, this body that grows old and gets tired and gets wounded and gets hurt, is going to be transformed from mortal to immortal, from finite to infinite and, and that this body that decays is going to be one of purity and holiness that this this body that we live in that has this sinful nature will be no more and it will be morphed and transformed into a body that has a sinless nature wow and what is this body does our body today tell us thank you so much for doing that I don't know about you, but mine fights me every single day. Because that's, 
we have to kind of drag. That's why, that's why Paul was telling Titus to live, to live a life not the way your flesh wants to live, but live a life that God wants you to live. Because you will always wrestle with this body, but Christ redeemed us, this body and our soul. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. Wow. Redeemed is one of those things that it's past tense and present tense. We've been redeemed and we're being redeemed. We're being transformed. And when we, when we get there, we've been justified. We're being sanctified. And when the Lord comes, we will be glorified. Wow. Our body and our soul have been redeemed. What else has the Lord redeemed? Well, the Lord has redeemed our relationships. Our relationship with God has been redeemed. There is no more veil. There's no more... Uh, barrier between you and God. Have you thought about the, the idea that you can talk to the creator of the heavens and the earth, which is pure and holy, which has never had an immoral thought in his existence, and you can go before the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that, that, that cast the stars in the sky and called them by name, that measured the oceans in the palm of his hand, the creator of all things, the giver of all life, and you can walk right into the throne room of, the, uh, of God and make your requests and petitions known because he cares that much for you. You, we do not realize how much of the blessing of God that we have been given that the creator of the heavens and earth says, I have taken away any barrier between you and I, so come and talk to me. Ask what you will. Bring your petitions. Bring your requests. Bring your prayers. Continually come to me, for I am a God that will hear and answer. Wow. You didn't realize you had that much authority with God, did you? And yet he gives that because our relationship with God has been redeemed. Our, our relationship with humanity, with others, have been redeemed. That, that we can actually have relationships that are based on love. With purity of mind and heart. So our body and soul has been redeemed. Our relationship with God and man has been redeemed. Do you realize that our personality has been redeemed? Our personality. How many, how many can think back before they knew the Lord? B.C., before Christ. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I may confess this to you before, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you again. There was a, a, a whole year that the Lord dealt with me about, about giving my life to Him. A whole year. It started when I was driving through a little town called uh, Mena, Arkansas. 
in the Washita Mountains, just driving through, minding my own business, listening to my own uh, music, driving through, and I look over at the corner of my eye and I see a church. And as soon as I saw the church, I heard the voice of God say, why aren't you serving me? And my eyes were flooded with tears and, and the presence of God just filled my car and it commanded me to turn off the, the music and, and, and I could only recite just a few things from childhood from, from, uh, from hymns or from songs and from the scripture but I began to communicate with God. And you would think that you would just instantly give your life to the Lord right then. But it took almost a year to that date because Every single night, the Lord would wake me up in the middle of the night, and he would knock on the door of my heart. Middle of the night, my eyes would open up, and I knew I wasn't ready to meet him. And I would lay there and say, Lord, don't come back right now. And it took almost an entire year until I couldn't take it anymore. And I made my way to a church on a Bible study night. Wednesday, and you say nothing happens on Wednesday night. I gave my life to the Lord on a dry old Bible study night. Why? And why did it take me so long? The reason why it took me an entire year, because I thought becoming a Christian meant that I was going to lose my identity. I was no longer going to be the person that I was, that I was going to be changed forever, lost forever, that, 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 that the things that I wanted to do and the things that I enjoyed doing, I, I couldn't do anymore, and there was just going to be this giant struggle in my life, and I was only partly right. When I truly surrendered my life to the Lord, and I gave Him everything in me, I wasn't the same person. But I had an epiphany. I had an understanding that the person I thought I was, the person that I was trying to hang on to, wasn't me at all. The real person, my real identity, was not found in the things in this world because the things in this world are temporal. They're falling apart. They're decaying by the second. What what I discovered was my true identity was found in Christ, in the one that created me, the one that really knows who, me, who I really am. He knows me better than I know myself. And I've been on this amazing adventure and journey for this 30 plus years of discovering who I really am. And it took me almost an entire year to surrender because I thought I was going to lose who I was. And I, what I really discovered was I found my real personality. I found the real me. I found the real person that was full of joy and not bitterness. That was full of happiness and not sorrow. That was full of love and not hate. I found who I really am in Christ my personality was redeemed, brought back. Something else that, that, that 
was redeemed was not just my body and soul or my relationship with God and man or, or my own personality, but perspective on life. Just a perspective on life, how you view life, how you see life, how you live life, changed. I began to see life differently. As, as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is great gain. And, and, and you start, and you, you can quote that, but until you begin to, to see it and start living it, and, and you start allowing the, the Holy Spirit to move in your life and to change your life and to adjust your life and the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the long suffering, the goodness and the meekness and the faith, and all of these, these ingredients begin to be poured into your life and they start baking in your life and they change you and they transform you and you realize that your perspective on life begins to change. You're not just thinking about next week or next month, next year, but your perspective becomes eternal that you want to please Him because you realize this life is short. I was visiting with uh, uh, Peggy. Uh, I think many of you know her here in church. She's a young 98. Her husband's 101. And Peggy told me something uh, this week that, that my father-in-law told me quite often. She said, I don't know how I got here. It didn't take long to live this life. You know, to be honest, it really doesn't take long to live a life, does it? You blink, and you have kids. You blink, and you have grandkids. You know, one day, you know, you're strong, and everybody's asking you to, to carry stuff, and the next day they're saying, you know, Dad, just sit over there. I'll get them to do it. There's, it just doesn't take long to live a life. But when we walk with the Lord, when we're redeemed, our perspective on this life changes. It's not just about this life. Paul said if we had hope only in this life, we'd be, we would be the most miserable people on earth. Wow. So we've been redeemed. Our, our body and soul have been redeemed. Our personality has been redeemed. Our relationship with God and man has been redeemed. Our perspective on life has been redeemed. The things that, that we used to do, we don't do anymore. And the things that we didn't do, now we do. And, and we find pleasure in blessing others. It's just amazing that God transforms us. We've been redeemed. We find out who we really are in Christ. We have great things to be thankful for. But the real question is not that Christ has redeemed us and gone in and bought us back from death and from, from our own depravity. But let me ask you the real question. Why? Why would an all-powerful God try to salvage or redeem one of his creations. You ever create something, go to pottery class, or you know, and, and you create something, you don't like it, you just throw it away and you start, start again. Why didn't God just say, I'm done with everybody? 
and I'll start again. And you say, well, that would be mean. We were ripping the floor out of one of of the parsonages the other day and found some beautiful cockroaches. I personally thought that they were small rats. They were big. So I was thankful I was wearing gloves and I was thankful I was wearing boots because they, they pop when you step on them. I found great enjoyment. <laughs> got another. Then Sam said, just wound that one so he'll go back and tell all of his friends. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> I could just see that little roach crawling with one arm. We've got to go. We've got to go. You're laughing, you know, but I took something's life. And it didn't bother me a bit. Because I didn't care about that roach. Cared about the house. Didn't care about the roach. So, do you realize that the, the schism, the divide between God and us is greater than us in, in that roach? And why did God redeem us? Well, the answer is really found in 1 John 4.10. It says this. This is real love. This is Christ's motive. This is real love. It is not that we loved God. But that He loved us. And sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's the motive. If you want to know why the Lord redeemed us, it simply comes down to this. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God loves us. And if there is nothing else to be thankful for, we can be thankful that God loves us. Have you ever considered, I'm going to ask the the team to come back, have you ever considered the fact that when, when Satan fell, Jesus said he saw him fall out of heaven? He took one-third of the angels with him. That's a lot of angels. We don't know how many angels there are, but we know that there are quite a few. He took one-third of them with him, and you know what God did to redeem them? Nothing. God never one time tried to redeem the angelic host that fell. And yet you've got Adam and Eve created by God, made lower than the angels. They're in the garden and they're tempted. 
And through the lust of the eye and lust of the flesh and the pride of life, they look at that fruit and they partake of the fruit and they disobey God and they're separated from God. And what does God do? He moves heaven and earth. To redeem them. I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to confess to you today. I don't comprehend the love of God. I know when my children were born, grandchildren were born, when I held them in my arms for the very first time and I looked at them and they hadn't done anything for me. They didn't, they were just newly born. I looked at them and in that moment there was an instant love that I would have laid down my life for them right then. That's the closest I can get. And it pales in comparison to the love that God has for us. So let me speak to you for a moment. If you're struggling with circumstances in life, perhaps it's, it, it's, it's a financial circumstance or perhaps it's a family issue or, or maybe it's a, a medical condition, can I encourage you to look beyond the circumstance and realize the immeasurable love that God has for you? And He will never leave you. And He is never going to forsake you. And He will always be there with you. But His vision is different than our vision. He sees things different than we see them. We just have to trust that He loves us. And when we're walking through those times that we don't understand... The greatest thing that we can do is to hold on to that nail-scarred hand, the one that knows, the one that sees, the one that understands, the one that redeems, the one that loves, and trust Him.